chapter 1. And we've been working through this in our men's Bible study. Uh, and uh, such a rich and compelling uh, word to the church and to us. Uh, I believe it is a good way we can uh, challenge, be challenged by God to start out this new year. So you can follow along with me as I read the first um, four verses. And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted and commanded by God our Savior to Titus, my true child, and the common faith, grace, and peace from God the Father, from Christ Jesus our Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would use it in our lives this morning. Encourage us and instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the little book of Titus has been instrumental in shaping my thinking for ministry, not simply uh, the qualifications of what it means to be an elder, though we find that here, but also how ministry is to be carried out uh, for the minister and for the church people alike. Uh, chapter 2 really shows us the community of believers living and strengthening and discipling one another, growing in their faith and Chapter 3 lays out for us this, uh, this church and, and what it looks like to live in a world that is unsaved, what it looks like to live in the world that is dark, uh, that grace-giving, uh, mercy-extending uh, kindness uh, that we extend to the world and witness the goodness of Christ. It also is a continual reminder to us of what God's saving grace does in our life. His redeeming, regenerating people of God to be active and busy and to be giving themselves to good works. And I'll just point out a few of these for you in verse number 14 of chapter 2. Speaking of God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Reminding us that God not only saves us, redeems us, regenerates us, but he, he brings us into this, this life of service and ministry, this activity which Paul says are good works. He says they're zealous for it. Dragging their feet, wondering what i got to do next. They are wanting and willing and desiring to serve the Lord. Uh, and how true that is when you first come to Christ, isn't it? Uh, your, uh, your thanksgiving, your, your heart is filled with thankfulness and generosity and your desire to serve Christ. It should grow uh, in us uh, and it should continue on. Uh, in our life. He mentions this three other times in chapter number three that we're to be ready for every good work and devote ourselves to good works and learn to do them. And that is simply coming back to the reminder of God's saving grace working through us. Once we were actively giving ourselves to lawlessness and sinfulness, 
here in verse number two and three we were once foolish and disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures we're passing our days in malice envy hated by one another and hating one another and and because of the grace of god the goodness of god uh, that came to us and regenerated us and transformed us we serve a different master and um, you see this emphasis throughout the the letter here well, Paul, speaking of ministry, begins Titus with a view of ministry, uh, of his own ministry. He shows to us of something of his own understanding of God's will and purpose for calling him uh, not only uh, in salvation, but calling him in serving. And you'll see that in the first few verses. And I want to walk through that this morning as we consider Paul's purpose. I want to suggest to you and and myself again that these things are our purpose as well. And they should be part of the underlining part of all that we do. Our aim as a church ought to be seen in these verses, in the first three verses. And our desire as a Christian ought to be found in, in cooperation with these things. And so let's begin, first of all, as Paul introduces himself and his position, verse number one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. Those of you familiar with Paul refers to himself as a servant Uh, Frequently, he is considered to be a slave of God. That's what the word behind that means, a bondservant uh, to God. Uh, Here is the only place that he uh, connects that, that language of being a servant to God. But nevertheless, he brings to the church and it brings to our mind that Paul considered himself through the lens of his relationship to God. Sees his identity and his calling in life in relationship or in his relationship to God. And first and foremost, he speaks of his calling to be a servant. He is a slave. Something of humility is seen in those words, isn't it? We don't use language like that because of the baggage slavery takes in our day and the remembrance of our own history as a nation and the nations around us, countries around us. But here Paul makes, uh, makes no bones about it. He doesn't beat around the bush. He simply sees himself here as a, a slave under the authority, under the ownership, under the leadership of God. God is his master. And likewise in Galatians, because this is the case, it is God who he most wants to please. And saying that I have the choice laid out in front of me, either I will serve God and please him or I will serve man and try to please him. I cannot do both. And so Paul reminds us as a servant of God, his aim is to please his master. Second Corinthians, he further adds to that as a servant of God, his desire is to be found faithful. So you want to please your master, and he understands the, the calling in his life is to be found faithful in what God has called him to do. That's what he wants to do. Well, you and I likewise are referred to as slaves and servants of God, Romans chapter number 6. And let me just read that for you and turn with me there. Romans 6, 
We get in verse number 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? He doesn't give us a third category, does he? Uh, Slave to sin, which would be a slave... Uh, here as he's referring to or a slave to righteousness, a slave to God or a slave to Christ. But thanks be to God that you once were slaves to sin, having become obedient from the heart to the standard, to the teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. And here he's reminding the church in Rome that Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin so that we may live as servants, as slaves under righteousness under the yoke with Christ. So Paul refers to himself here as a servant of God, and he adds to that an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here he's, he's showing both his humility, his, his being under the leadership or the authority of God, and yet speaking out of authority for Christ. It just reminds us, for any who feel the tension between the Old and New Testament, there is none, Uh, That is all the stuff that we bring into it. Paul sought no uh, conflict in saying, I'm a servant of God in line with the Old Testament servants of God, and I serve God in the capacity of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, reminding us to see ourselves through the lens of being under the service of God and as far as we are here today in Christ Jesus. Now, apostle simply means sent one. Uh, and some suggest that is in a kind of general sense, a sent one were all sent. But I think Paul is referring here in a, in a formal sense as one who has seen the resurrected Lord, been a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and they were entrusted with laying the foundation. Paul is saying here, this is who I am speaking to you. Now it begins with this, and this is where I want us to kind of take away from this. He begins with giving us an understanding of his ministry, of what God has called him to do, his purpose in life, and through these three things. And I hope that these help shape our ministry as a church, uh, not just our ministry as a church. I hope they accompany our life this year. And so I've just kind of given you three words to help kind of navigate through this, to just take with you and hopefully stick with you uh, that you take throughout this year 2023. The first of which is share. Now, let me just read it for you and let you know where I've got that from. Paul says, I am a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Here he's saying to us and reminding us that ministry isn't just words. Uh, His calling in life, what God's called him to do, isn't just in a title, but it is meant to be practically lived out. Uh, Just like our faith is meant to practically be lived out. Uh, It isn't we just uh, call ourselves certain things. It is a way we live this life, the way we trust, the way we pray, the way we interact with one another. Faith and, and practice go together. They're not at odds. Sometimes we tend to think they are, but but they're really not. So Paul sees the first part of his ministry as for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Uh, I think this is best understood 
uh, in the NIV, it says to further for the to further the faith of God's elect, the New American Standard says, for the faith of those chosen by God. Who is he saying? I think he's telling us that he sees his ministry is to encourage and build up the faith of God's elect, to bring about, to build up the faith of God's elect. As he ministers and goes about and does what he does through preaching the gospel, it is to call, uh, to call men and women to faith. It is to proclaim and to tell and to preach and to share and to evangelize. And we see this in uh, his purpose in Rome as he wrote to them, considering his own ministry through whom we have received grace and apostleship, speaking of his own self, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called and belong to Jesus Christ. Why did God call him to be an apostle? Why did he, he gift him as he did? Why did he send him out preaching and, and to be a missionary? It is to call uh, for the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, he says to Rome. In fact, you see this emphasis at the end of the letter, uh, staying with him. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone's foundation. But as is written, those who have never heard or those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. Paul's ministry, the purpose of his ministry was seen in the work of evangelism. Now here Paul uses the word for the faith of, uh, for the faith of God's elect, uh, and the elect simply means God's chosen, or means chosen, a term synonymous uh, in the Old Testament with the people of God. And just a few passages of scriptures you want to jot down and, and look up later. It may be familiar to you. In Deuteronomy 7, we see this highlighted for us. When he says, you're a holy people, a, uh, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Moses is telling the children uh, those who are going in to receive the promise because their parents were disobedient in the wilderness. And he's reminding them as they go in uh, to stand amazed at God's mercy and grace. He says, it is God who has chosen you to be a people of his own possession, not because you were so mighty. So don't go over into Canaan land thinking you're the best and greatest and God chose you because you're military prowess and all the other stuff you got going on. That's not the case. Uh, the answer remains in the love and the choice and the grace of God. That's what he says here. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more than number any peoples, but you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. Peter, using the same language in um, 2, 9 through 10, he speaks of them being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, Again, showing us this, this great, sovereign, gracious work of God uh, in salvation. 
In the Bible, in the New Testament, we can at least say this, uh, that the language of chosen and elect unites the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints together. It's always been by faith and grace. Is also a term which emphasizes for us God's work in salvation, forbidding any work of our own to be grounds of our justification. There's no room for you and I to boast. All the praise goes to the mercy and glory of God. It doesn't diminish your own personal story and how God brought you to himself, but what it does is reminds us that as we were seeking him and as we were choosing him and responding to him, it was because he was seeking us and he was choosing us. That's what we see in Ephesians way before the foundation of the world. That's at the heart of what Paul says in chapter number 3 when he reminds us that we were foolish and disobedient and led astray in all the things that we were given to. But when the goodness of loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because works done by us in righteousness. Salvation has never been earned. It's never been gained by what you do and what you can or what you could do. Uh, it is only by God's grace. It is the loving kindness of God, our Savior, that has appeared. He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. All of grace. All of grace. An amazing gift that God has given to us as it stretches our mind to think through these things. But how is anyone saved? Well, they're saved through hearing the gospel, aren't they? In one sense, we stand amazed as we consider some of the theological things that standing behind this and God's work of election and all those things like that, that that oftentimes can be a mystery to us and be a tension for us. But at the end of the day, the Bible brings us back. How is all of this accomplished? Well, the same way you came to faith and the same way I came to faith, through the preaching of the gospel. That's what Paul says here in verse uh, number three, uh, speaking about the promise of eternal life has been manifested through his word, through the preaching, which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. It is through faith. It is responding to the word of Christ, to the word of God, to the gospel. It is by faith. And that's what God has called us to be a part of. He sees his ministry in part and the preaching of the gospel in part to the evangelism of the nations. And I love the fact that we are a, uh, we are big on the gospel here at ABC. Would you agree with that? You should thank God for that. And I think it's right to be. Because the Bible says it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing you have in and of yourself, not even your, uh, not even your your stories and kind of those things like that. Nothing, none of those things are adequate in and of themselves to transform and save anybody. It is the power of God through the gospel. It's displayed in our lives. It's displayed in in the world around us, and it is given. It is a spoken word, and that gives us encouragement fact as I was uh, meditating over this a couple of weeks ago um, musing through a question that was answered me 
um, about what I think when I stand up here in front of you, what my purpose is. Well, I hope to communicate the Bible uh, clearly to some degree. But part of the purpose that, that God has given me in my calling as a minister of the gospel is to preach Christ and call people to believe. And maybe you are here this morning and again, God bringing you by his grace and by his mercy to be reminded that salvation can be attained in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. And this whole thing that we talk about year after year after year, century after century that has been talked about is still significant and relevant and powerful enough to transform your life. The very reason Christ came is to save sinners. And if you mark that box, which we all do, uh, that's the best place to start. He died on the cross. He rose again and he's coming back. And the Bible says that those who believe will be saved. For as many as come to him, he would receive. And maybe you need to be encouraged again one more time, the first of 2023, to come to him, to receive him, to believe. Was standing on the outside and, 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 and just trying to wonder and work all this stuff out. Seek help with that. Don't rest today until the matter is settled with your soul. In Christ, there's forgiveness. There's hope. There's a, eternal promises and benefit outside of Christ. There's just us and our mess and all that we can accomplish and do, which is, which is really nothing. And it's temporary. But this is not only the passion and burden I think ought to be a part of this pulpit and the elders of the church here at ABC but this is the passion of all of us that's gathered together this morning this is all of our burden to carry we are to be engaged in actively engaged in sharing the gospel with our neighbors and with our friends and with the people you work with and the people you meet the people in this community how does the church grow and how does it continue to spread? Is it not through the, the testimony and through the witness of God's people? Is it not through those who have experienced the grace of God and carry that same grace and that same hope to others who need it? And the only reason I, I say that to you is I, because I need to say it to my own self to remind myself as this year lays out in front of us and all the ministries that we might get confused in that one of the, one of the foundational things that God has called us to do as a church and that is to simply share the gospel. It's to preach it, teach it, share it, speak it. Write it on the back of a card. Put it in with a track and a, and a hundred dollar bill as you leave a tip down. And I'm just kidding. Maybe not. Maybe two hundred for some of you. That's back payment. You know, I watched, uh, listened to the book Scrooge um, over Christmas. This ought to be a common thing for us churches, shouldn't it? Something that we are we are we're devoted. We we give ourselves to, and yet I find it's one of those. Things that is the awkward thing uh, in most of our lives as Christians. But it needs to be done. Uh, we must be about the Father's business. We must evangelize and give out the gospel. And we do that by prayer, definitely by prayers. We pray together and pray for those who are not saved. We also do it with words. There used to be an old saying, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. That's, there's nothing could be more ridiculous than anything like that 
How can you give the gospel without words? You can't. Uh, And so we need those conversations with people around us. And that's my desire for you this year, my desire for this church, that we we would let this emphasis be a part of our life. That is to share, to give the gospel, to evangelize. Secondly, notice with me in verse number one, at the end of that, he says, not only for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness. So Paul sees his ministry as a ministry of, of evangelizing, but also a ministry of building up the body of Christ, helping them grow into Christ likeness, helping them grow and display godliness. Now Paul mentions over and over throughout his letters his desire that the church would know something of Christ. They would know the depth and width and breadth of the love of Christ. Philippians, his great desire for his own life is to know Christ. That's a great passage to read over uh, the first day of the year. That'd be a good place for you to park tonight and as you begin your Bible study reading plan and, uh, and just park there. Philippians 3 and go over that again and and be stirred by Paul's words there. And what does he mean when he says uh, which uh, the knowledge of truth which accords with godliness? I think he's saying to them and and it's saying to us here that he's wanting them to understand and and to know the gospel. Not just all truth is God's truth but that they know the transformative the the foundational teaching of the gospel. In fact, you find that, as was read in our opening uh, verse this morning in chapter number 2, as he speaks about living and morality and, and how we're to live this life, it's all rooted in the gospel, the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He's saying to the church, part of what God has called him to do is to, to preach Christ, preach the gospel, not only to, to call people to faith, but for, for those people who are of faith to grow in it, to be challenged and to grow. And so if you're keeping track of words, maybe you've lost me. The first one is to share. The second one is to grow, to grow. Isn't it amazing And Paul goes to Corinth, he says, I know nothing from you except Jesus Christ and him crucified to grow in knowing the truth to grow in understanding and 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 what the word of God says not only about certain issues in society that we live in but what it says about my life Uh, to grow in our understanding of who Christ is that's how transformation happens we we see him and beholding him we're being transformed from one image one degree of glory to another in Second Corinthians. There's a difference here that Paul points out about knowing truth and knowing truth. There is a knowledge of truth which runs counter to what Paul has in mind, and he's simply not saying that you just need to store up facts. When I was younger, because we were fundamentalists, we had those Bible trivia games that what we were allowed to play, not what we did last night, like Uh, I won't mention, but anyway, (laughs) I like that kind of stuff. What do you know? You know, how much of the Bible do you know? But that isn't the end. That isn't the main goal. It's helpful. It's necessary. 
But there's something else Paul has in mind here. The church is not just a school or an institution. It's not just a series of lectures over and over. It, It is all with a purpose. Each week, I stand in front of you, each class that we teach, each, each ministry that carries on, it, it is all with an aim, with a purpose. It isn't just to inform you, to make you smarter. Well, I want you to be smarter. But it's so that you would grow in godliness. In fact, teaching that, that leaves off this point or aim, teaching that is just focused in on how great a speaker is or how, how great a subject is, it, it, it leaves off that, misses the mark altogether. It's wasting my time and wasting your time. Paul says, that which, a knowledge of truth, that which accords with or goes along with or produces godliness. His desire is the church not only be satisfied in where they are, but as they continue to grow, as they continue to understand, as they continue to walk through the word of God, that their lives would would grow in Christ's likeness and grow in godliness. Have you ever met anyone who knows a lot of Bible stuff and their life displays the attributes of a nonstick frying pan? I'll let you catch up with that. You just have a conversation of them. I mean, like you could just counsel yourself if you'd take your own counsel. And yet nothing in their life is marked by it. In church, I would say that is a dangerous place to be. Even as a Christian, we can, we, we oftentimes outknow what we obey. Wouldn't you agree with that? But the goal of all of that is to continue to mold us and transform us into the image of Christ. Uh, we see that kind of profession and knowledge and the, and the negative aspect of that at the end of verse number 1. Of those who profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Truth that leads or is in agreement to godliness in all biblical Truth is meant to produce that in our life. We've seen that in Second Peter, didn't we? His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us his own glory and excellence. Now, I want to encourage you this, and I, I mentioned it in an opening about being in the Word this year. I think we can help uh, and we can hinder our own spiritual growth. You cannot grow in Christ's likeness. You will not grow in godliness if you're not growing in your knowledge. If you're not being in, if you're not in the Word. If you're not seeing Christ through the pages of His Word. If you're not walking with God and dwelling with God, then you will reflect what you are walking with or who you are walking with and and where you're dwelling. That's just the way it is. It's never neutral. We never get to a place and say we're good and we can just kind of, we're fixed. We got to where we're going and it's it. It's, it's, always, it's always moving, isn't it? That's why the Hebrew writer writes and he warns the church not to drift away uh, for those who have who got along uh, to some place and just kind of let things slip. If we are going to grow uh, as a church, if you're going to grow as a Christian, you have to be in the Word. You have to be and surround yourself with the knowledge of truth. You have to walk through the pages of Scripture and meet Christ in the Spirit there. And that is a battle, isn't it? And that's something we have to fight for. 
it's not natural to our, our fleshly inclinations. And usually, especially when things are going bad, oftentimes those are the things, those are the disciplines which we tend to let go of as we start doing other things. So I want you, and all of our ministry here is focused on discipleship, evangelism and discipleship. So we need to share, we need to grow. Thirdly, I want to mention this in verse number two, we uh, live with hope. Paul, a servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Don't you like that, that addition in there? Which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In some ways we could say, well, we, we kind of know that. But isn't it good to see it in your Bible? We, we go through the Old Testament, we go through the rest of God, and we see the character of God, his unchangingness and all those trustworthiness, his faithfulness to the children of Israel. Man, don't you see it in that? How about your own life? I don't know as if, if it would change his thing whether or not that was there or not, but isn't it good to see it there? Because God wants to remind us in a culture that, that is built on what is true, what isn't true, what is right and what is wrong. The world lies, your culture lies, the news lies. The, we get off on the left field here, couldn't we? <laughs> the devil lies and the father of all lies. He says our hope for this coming year isn't rooted in all those sources and all those places. It's rooted in the promises of God who never lies. Everything that he has said, everything that he has promised us, everything that he has um, declared is true. It's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. We can still preach it. We can still stand on it. We can still believe it because God never lies. Now, why do I say live with hope? Well, for one, and, and maybe you're that way, and I've been that person, but I have seen that person just as much, that many times as Christians, we walk around as if the Bible was never written. It isn't just the world that is stressed out living in fear and anxiety. It's the church that's stressed out living in fear and anxiety. It's true. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do have a book that reminds us that we know who holds tomorrow, don't we? And so we can navigate this year. We, we are obedient in evangelism. We're, we're striving to grow and, and pursuing growth, not only in our own life, but in our, in our brother's and sister's life in Christ. And, and we're doing all of this with hope. You say, well, things are bad. Well, you got 365 days this year ahead of you, 364, 364 and a half. They probably will be some bad days. But you can still hope. You can face those with a reminder that God is with you. You can face those with a reminder that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can face those with the promise of everlasting life. That's what he speaks about here. Hope in eternal life. We can be overwhelmed by the temporary things that we face in this life. And we're to meet those with the joy and the, and the faithful promise of the life that is to come. We face this world, we face the things in this life with hope. In the middle of living, we can trust boldly when we don't see the end to your trouble. 
You can act with courage knowing God is for you. And you can experience joy in the middle of temporary uncertainty because of God's eternal promises. Do you believe that? We can have joy without knowing what's tomorrow. We can have joy even in the middle of knowing what tomorrow is and we face it with dread. Because our hope isn't settled in the temporary moments of dread. It's, it's, it's founded, it's established in the eternal promises of his, his gift of life, which he will not back down from giving. He never lies. Now, how do we live with this hope? Because that's a struggle for us, isn't it? Sometimes we are courageous and other times we are fearful. Sometimes we are are quick to go back to the gospel and the promises of God. And sometimes we're a little late in doing that. Well, maybe I am and you're just looking at me. We do this, one, through the continual encouragement in the word. And two, from the continual encouragement of one another. As you come along beside your brother or your sister in Christ saying, look, look at Christ. Look at this promise. Look at his goodness. Look at his strength. Uh, look to him. And I know there are many more things that we could add to this list. But there's something about retaining its simplicity. I was taking my time yesterday and today a little bit of working through in my mind all the ministries we do here and seeing how they fit in this this realm of evangelism and and edification and encouragement or the way we share the gospel the way we grow in Christ and in the way we hope as we live. I don't want to do things just to be busy. We do enough of that. But I want us as a church, I want you as a Christian to live your life with purpose. And here's a good place to start. Start with sharing your faith with others around you that need to hear it. Start with, with engage, being engaged in the word and growing in your spiritual walk and helping others along the way and, and discipling others and live this year with hope because of the promises of God are true and he never lies. Amen? Bow with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We gather together. Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, just encourage us as we face this year and, and all the things that it uh, entails. We don't know. Maybe, maybe Lord, uh, you will come back. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? M- maybe not. Either way, keep us focused on the mission and the task that you've given us to do as a people. Encourage us and strengthen us and, and give us that revitalization that we need to press forward. Uh, for your kingdom, for your glory, for the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.